Now, today, I have a word that I'm really excited to share uh, because, because I've been in this season where I'm hearing from the Lord about what He wants the church to hear. And so, and so today, I want to share with you the second in a series called Take Heed. Church, take heed. Don't surrender your spiritual authority. It's so apt that today is Mother's Day and we're talking about families. We're talking about taking authority in your homes. We're talking about taking authority in your families, in your neighborhoods, and beyond that, in, your, in the nation, in your workplaces, and everywhere. But it does begin in the home. And so I know that the Sumer mothers have been taking authority over their homes for years now. Before even there was a Sumer church, you've been doing it already Good job, good job, you know, and fathers, let's continue to take spiritual authority over our homes, over our wives and children, and over our, our, our neighborhoods. Let's keep doing that. But today, I really want to share with you um, uh, uh, this word that I began this preparing to preach on the church in Philadelphia for the main church. And then we had the little COVID scare, and then I was, I was, uh, I was disqualified from preaching that Saturday at first service. And so Pastor Joel took the main service slots, and that sermon uh, has morphed into today's sermon. It does begin with the church at Philadelphia, and it and it uh, it it morphs into other things. So let's begin with the church at Philadelphia. This is Revelation chapter three. Okay, it begins with Revelation chapter three. And this is for those of you who are unfamiliar uh, uh, with church, with your Bible, you're fairly new to all this. Revelation is a book of the Bible, the last one. And it speaks of all the last things that's going to happen to the world before everything ends. And this is one of the subsections within Revelation, a letter written to a church. And the church is the church in Philadelphia. This is not the Philly of, the, of America. This is not the Philly of the 60, 69ers or what, what, whatever you may call it. Um, but this is Philadelphia in Asia Minor, first century AD. Verse 7. And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, write the words of the Holy One, the True One. So this is the name of God. The Holy One, the True One, who has the key of David who opens and not, no one will shut, who shuts and no one will open. I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. I know that you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. We just sang the song, what a beautiful name. Indeed, God's name is a beautiful, wonderful, powerful name. Now, the Lord is commanding this church that you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they are Jews and are not but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet and they will learn that I have loved you. Just before we click to the next slide, I want you to see this, that when the enemies of God come and bow down at your feet. They are not just... Now, we know that one day every knee shall bow, every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. On that day, they will bow down before King Jesus. Agreed? Right? But the text here is saying something else. Right? He's saying, Behold, I will make all my enemies 
who in turn will be all your enemies, come and bow down at your feet. In other words, the Lord is going to, to delegate authority. He's going to empower his church with authority so that the same submission that his enemies will have to give to the Lord, he's going to put that submission upon the church, his people. Remember, he's writing to the church of Philadelphia. And the enemies of God will come and bow down at the feet of the church. This is something, church. It's not nothing. It's something. It's big deal. Now, let's look at the next verse, right? Verse 10, and we're going to click on, because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. And hear this, take heed, my church, hold fast to what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Oh, church. Oh, church. I want to preach some fire today. Church, come on. Can you say this to yourself in your atmosphere? So hold fast. Everybody say, hold fast. Say it to yourself. I'm going to say it to myself. Say, Fergus, hold fast. Everybody in, in, at home, say it to yourself. Say, Kieran, hold fast. Bill, hold fast. Joel, hold fast. Catalina, hold fast. Right? Everybody, hold fast. Why? Do not let anyone seize your crown that no one may seize your crown. Say it in the chat, hold fast, no one can seize my crown. Hold fast, no one can seize my crown. The one who conquers, I will give him, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. You saw earlier, it said that you're small, you're weak, you're not very powerful, but if you overcome, he will make you a pillar in the temple of God. You know what pillars stand for? Pillars are strength. They are the foundational strength. They are the ones who are load-bearing, weight-carrying, and holds the whole structure up. If you overcome, you will be like the pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it. And I will write on him the name. What a wonderful, powerful name. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the, to the what? To the churches. To the churches. So today this word is for all of us amen for all of us now let's go on like how let, let me let me break this down a little bit because this revelation tree uh philadelphia church letter has all these hyperlinks going everywhere right it's it, it's connected to other parts of scripture so when we say that let the bible explain the bible i want to show you how it's done so i'm going to take out a little section and i'm going to put it on a corner and we're going to look at it now verse 7 says this the words of the holy one the true one who has the key of david who opens and no one will shut who shuts and no one opens i know your works Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. Now, my friends, before we go any further, I want you to know and see this. Every time the Bible talks about keys, it's talking about access. Keys speak of access. And keys 
speak of access into authority uh, um, and power. So you, you, some of you may know this, that every time there is a new mayor uh, in a city, the mayor is given a key to the city, even though today we don't have city gates, but the practice still exists in many parts of the world. When you have a new Dato Banda, your new Dato Banda will be presented with the keys of the city. That is a symbolic way of saying that now you have authority over the city, right? And in the past, the key to the gates of the city is literally you can open the city doors and no one can shut it. Why? Because no one has authority to shut it other than you who holds the key. And if you decide, lock the city doors, you lock the city doors, no one can make them open. Why? Because you hold the key, right? And so the Lord is saying here that the Holy One and the True One has the key of David. Now, when you've got the key of not just anything, but the key of David, it's speaking of spiritual authority over the kingdom, not just any kingdom, the kingdom of God. David obviously references King David, to whom God promised that one day I will set a king upon your throne and over your people forever. So this is speaking of Jesus, and this is speaking of the full authority that comes with being the key holder. Everybody say, the one who holds the key, the one who holds the key, right? You open, no one can shut. You shut, no one can open. Now, I want to show you the amazing power of the scripture to interpret itself and to grow from one text to others. About 600 years or thereabouts, right? Prior uh, to, to this verse in Revelation 2, okay, the prophet Isaiah spoke and the Lord spoke through the prophet Isaiah and he spoke something very similar to what was spoken in Isaiah 22. It says this, In that day, I will call my servant Eliakim, the son of Hilkiah, and I will place on his shoulder the key of the house of David. You see that in green highlighted, the key of the house of David. He shall open and none shall shut, and he shall shut and none shall open. It's the same words. 600 years separating these two prophecies, right? But the same word, the Lord is saying something to his church. He's saying that I will give, and Eliakim is the replacement leader of the Jewish people. There was, if you go back and read Isaiah 22, another leader. His name was Shatna. And during a time when the Lord was speaking serious things to Israel and calling them to repentance, Shatna was leading Israel into revelry and, and, and leisure and celebration and feasting. And at that time, the Lord was saying, repent your sin, repent, come back to me, turn, sackcloth, ashes, come back to me. And, uh, and the former leader was leading them into revelry and fun. And the Lord struck Shepna, said, I'll take away all your authority. I give it to someone else. Then this someone else was a guy called Eliakim. And I want you to see that the, he, he is like a type of Christ, right? He's like a picture of Christ because now God gives him authority, the key. Everyone, anything he opens, none shall shut. Anything he shuts, none shall open. Now, I want to show you this other thing. Verse 22 starts with, and I will place on his 
What's that? And I will place on his shoulder, right? I will place on his shoulder. Now I want to show you one more piece of scripture. And this is also from Isaiah, but it's from Isaiah 9. Okay, and this is a very familiar verse. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given. This is who? Jesus, right? This is Jesus, right? And the government shall be upon his shoulder. So even though in Isaiah 22, you see now in yellow, right? The, it's hyperlinking everywhere, right? It's like, it's, it's so connected. In, in Isaiah 22, he's giving it to Eliakim. But Eliakim is just like a placeholder, a standing Christ, right? For that day. But there is an ultimate shoulder who is going to carry the government, the authority, the keys to the kingdom. And that's going to be King Jesus. We know this from Isaiah chapter 9. Now I'm going to show you one last little section before we move on from this. Okay? And I want to show you this is how when God gives the authority upon King Jesus, right? The, the second person of the Trinity. And that authority for a temporary period of time was given to a man called Eliakim in Isaiah 22, right? That authority in Revelation 2 is given to the church in Philadelphia. Now, sorry, the fourth quadrant at the bottom, it says Isaiah 9, Fergus Ong's Bunyan mistake, okay? It should be a verse in Matthew, I forget which chapter, okay? Um, and it says, somebody type it out into the chat, right, if you can find it. Um, it says here, Jesus now speaking to Peter in first century AD. And he says this, and I tell you, you are Cephas, Peter. That's a Greek word for the rock, okay? He gives him a new name because before that his name was Simon. And he renames him to Cephas or in or anglicized is Peter. And on this rock, he's punning here, okay? On this rock, I will build my church. Prior to this, Peter had had confessed and, and declared, who is Jesus? Jesus is my Lord. He is my rock. And he says this, you are the son of the living God. You are the Lord, the Messiah, the one who is to come, the son of the living God, right? Thanks, Andros, for putting in uh, the Bible verse into the chat. Now, go back and read this. But Jesus, in response to this, says, you are the rock I will build my church upon this confession that Jesus Christ is Lord. I will build a church out of this confession and out of the thing you, Peter, are going to begin, I'm going to start something unstoppable. And that something unstoppable is going to be the early church that's going to grow into the medieval church, it's going to grow into the, into the church of the Reformation, it's going to grow into churches all over the world, it's going to grow into the church that sends out missionaries, it's going to come to the shores of Borneo, it's going to come from the shores of Borneo through the World War over to, to, to to uh, Samananjong, it's going to find its way into KL, it's going to raise up from 94 until 2021, you know, as a church in KL, and in 2020, I'm going to plant a church in Sungai Bulo, and it's going to be called SIBKL in Sungai Bulo, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. Not just SIBKL at Sungai Bulo, not just SIB church in Malaysia, not just the church in Malaysia or the Asian church or anything, the whole body of God's faithful believers, the gates of hell shall not prevail against her. You know what this means? 
Remember just now I talked to you about the keys? If you're the Datuk Banda, you shut the gate, no one can open. Guess what? Who's the Datuk Banda of hell? Let's just say it's Satan. Datuk Banda of hell shuts the gates of hell. Who can open? You think no one can open? You think only the Datuk Banda of hell has the keys? Guess what? When the church advances on the gates of hell, those doors will open. So I want you to see the parallel that exists between, the, the contrast rather, that exists between the power of the church versus the supposed power of hell. The power of the church is that whatever gate we shut, no one can open. No matter what horde of hell rails against our gates, none shall open. The, the armies of hell shall not prevail against our gates. But when the church storms at the gates of hell, look, the gates of hell shall not prevail. You know what this means? It means that their gates and their doors, though Satan shuts them, we can open. We can open, we can tear down the gates of hell. In other words, the gates of violence, the gates of, of corruption, the gates of prostitution, the gates of, of wickedness, the gates of, of political uh, um, uh, 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 strife, the gates of pressing all our racial buttons and religious buttons, the gates of all of these things over Malaysia, all those gates can be stormed down when we take and assume spiritual authority. So SIBKL, as Sungai Bulo, come on church, today we want to take our stand in the armies of the living God to storm against the gates of hell. Why? Because now the key of the throne of David has been handed over to Peter. He says that now I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. You see that? You see how everything chains and links together? That from Revelation 2, the one who holds the key is God, right? But he also empowers Peter, the leader of the church, and today the church holds the key. And then you see this in grey. You see all the grey ones? They look alike. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. In other words... Church, whatever gates you shut on earth, it will be shut in heaven and no man, nothing can open. Whatever gates you open on earth, it will be open in heaven. No man or no spirit can close them. Church, this is spiritual authority. In other words, let me simplify it for you into a diagram. Jesus has full spirit. Oh yeah, just one more. Yeah, sorry. Sorry, go back to that. Yes, thanks Alexis. Yeah, this, in, 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 you see this, the church. God gives it to the church. My servant, Eliakim, I will build my church. Revelations 2 was written, this section was written to the church of Philadelphia. So friends, you and I have spiritual authority. And to simplify, it looks like this. Jesus has spiritual authority, right? Next slide. Now, Jesus, what does he do with his spiritual authority? He empowers the church with that authority. Who, who does he empower with authority? All of us. 
By the way, if you look at Romans 16, the last verse, uh, one of the last chapter of the book of Romans, it's not in my notes, it's not in my slide, I'm freestyling here. There is a verse that says that the serpent, right, the snake, the serpent that is Satan himself, who will crush the serpent? It says that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under our feet. Not under his feet, under our feet. In other words, church, I want us to get this theology right. Jesus gives authority to the church. And the church has authority to crush Satan under our feet. We are God's proxy. He, can he act and come in and crush Satan? Of course he can. But how does the Lord want us to do it? How does the Lord want to execute execute Satan? He wants to do it through the trampling down of Satan that the church is going to do, right? So that's what this means. Jesus invests spiritual authority to the church. And through the church, we control the spiritual atmosphere of the land. You see this? God dominates our hearts, God dominates our atmosphere, and through us, God has dominion over the land. So, my friends, what happens if the church fails in its task? The word is abdication. It's a painful, terrible word. The word is abdication. I'm going to talk more about abdication in a short while. But you want to know what spiritual abdication is? Everybody say abdication. Yeah? Say, I will not abdicate. Say, I will not abdicate. Right? Now, spiritual abdication looks like this. When the church goes for a walk, and when the church surrenders its place of authority. The spiritual application happens when the church has been invested into place or position of authority and power, but it chooses not to execute it. It chooses not to live it up. It chooses instead to go down to a place of petty, low living and leave the place of high honour and high calling in order to do its own thing and take its own walk. That is spiritual abdication. And when the church does that, then it leaves a void. There is a gaping hole where the church used to be. And who, who is going to fill up that void in where the church left? All kinds of spiritual powers are going to come in and occupy that space. All other spiritual powers are going to come in, take control over that place. And now, who has control of the spiritual atmosphere of the land? Not us, because we took a walk. So my friends, the church cannot take a walk. The church cannot afford to abdicate on our spiritual authority. Because my friends, it was just a few weeks ago, it was the last week that the, our Sabahan brothers and sisters are celebrating Ka'amatan. Okay, Ka'amatan is their harvest festival. And, and Pastor Lichu was sending us photographs of how uh, the, the natives of Sabah were doing blood sacrifices with bull in order to, 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 to establish dark, unholy altars where, where they continue to worship and, and give Sabah over to the evil spirits of the land. Those are the same evil spirits that the early missionaries contended against. These were the same evil spirits that caught the people of East Malaysia in drunkenness and in, in, in wastefulness and in 
fear and it gripped them for so many years. And today, there are still people in Sabah who are worshipping these things and sacrificing bulls that we saw. The, the stone altar with all the blood and the dead bulls and everything like that. We saw that happen. And that's why church, SIB Sabah, rose up and started praying and started you know, you know, praying over the land. Why? Because it's a spiritual battle. It's a spiritual battle. So church, don't surrender. Not just surrender. Don't abdicate. Don't abdicate on your spiritual authority. And what's the difference between the two? The difference is this. You can surrender. Anybody can surrender. Anybody of low rank, no rank, you can be losing and surrender. If you're a heavyweight boxer and you're fighting and you're dying and you're bleeding, you're cut in one eye, you're bulging in one part of your face and then you're your coach throws in the white towel, right? And he says, forget it, forget it. This guy's out, right? He's losing and he surrenders. When you're in war and you're losing and you don't want to lose anymore, you raise the white flag. That's you're losing and you surrender. Abdication is not the same thing. That's why it's not just don't surrender. I know my sermon title is don't surrender. I just use plain English, you know. Um, but abdication is worse than surrender. Abdication is when you have been vested with honor and a high calling, a great commission, and, uh, and, uh, and a mission, a position of honor and authority. And you execute all your duties and responsibilities from a position of victory. Abdication is to take a position of victory and say, I don't want, no thank you. I step off the place of victory. It's like, look, it's like winning 3-0 and in the 89th minute, you walk off the pitch and you say, we don't want to continue. And then the other fellow wins by default. That's what abdication is. My church, take heed, don't abdicate on your spiritual authority. And what does this look like for all of us, my friends? Fathers and mothers, today's Mother's Day. Mothers, don't abdicate on your spiritual authority to pray over your children. Pray over your children, speak life over your children, prophesy goodness over your children and a destiny to fulfill a high calling over the, over the, the nations, over your children. Pray over their learning, pray over their education, not over their grades, not just over their grades. Pray over their character, not just over their achievements. Pray over uh, um, their, their destiny, not just over just today. Pray over your children, take spiritual authority. Fathers, what happens when you abdicate? When you abdicate, you allow another spirit into your home. And fathers, as a spiritual leader of your home, I, I, I want to charge you with this, that the atmosphere of your home rises and falls on your spiritual authority, that you take spiritual authority over your home, then all will be in alignment with what God is doing. But the day you step off and you say, let anything else come in, the enemy will come in and rip apart your family, tear down your children, tear down your marriage. That's what happens when fathers abdicate. My friends, it's scary when a man abdicates on his home. And maybe some of you, you grew up in a household where your father's kind of semi-abdicated or maybe even fully abdicated. And if that is you, today is not about making you feel bad about it or to feel... Or to feel uh, uh, um, hurt, all the hurt all over again because I believe that the, the very fact that you are here means the Lord wants to re 
father you and the lord wants to invest and invest upon you today for your children and the children and the children right and and the lord wants to safeguard now maybe in your previous generation somebody failed but the Lord wants to say to you, for your next generation and for all your descendants, will you take spiritual authority for them? Will you take spiritual authority and not abdicate, not, not shirk on this high calling that you have? My friends, if you are a boss and you are a, you, 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 you are a business owner or you are or your staff under you in your corporate business, right? I want you to take authority because what happens when you don't take authority is that every other kind of thing will start. Firstly, on a very practical level, other people will take authority. When you abdicate on an earthly level, someone else will take authority. Parents, don't be surprised. If you abdicate on your spiritual authority, your oldest child will grow resentful and they will take authority in your household. Bosses if you, and business owners, business leaders, if you don't take authority, one of your subordinates will feel resentful about your weakness and they will rise up and take, spirit, take authority over the place and it will be to your doom. Church in Malaysia, we have a high calling to take authority over Malaysia so that we can, so that we can establish the righteous rule of God over our land. I'm not talking about parliament in Putrajaya. That's like one little part of everything. Every day when you walk out from your home, do you know that when God, what you see as a street, a bunch of cars, Maybe a few other high-rise buildings around you. Or maybe there's a Malay Warung here. There's a Chinese Kopitiam there. That's what you see. But I want you to see as God sees. Every day when you walk out from your home, what God sees is a battlefield. And over every uh, apartment block and warung and kopitiam and all the cars, there are angels and demons warring over that place. You don't see it, right? With our eyes, we can't see it. But guess what? The Lord sees the battle in the heavenlies and He is interested in that because whatever happens in the heavenlies is reflected on the earthly level. So my friends, Every day when you walk out, you are walking into a mine and a battlefield, minefield and battlefield. And we take authority and pray over our land. Take authority and claim the atmosphere of the world we live in for Jesus. Because if you don't, you abdicate and everything else comes in. Now, my friends, I want to take a break. I'm going to take a deep breath. Deep breath. It's okay. I, I, I told you all last week there wasn't a scolding and today's one is not as well. It's a warning. It's a, but it's a warning. It's a warning for all of us in the Malaysian church. Don't, don't be in slumber. And if you have woken up later, I'm gonna, in a few weeks, I'm going to share with you, don't go back to sleep, right? right? If you have woken up, don't go back to sleep, right? Stay awake, stay alert, stay, stay on guard and be vigilant. You know, my friends, uh, around the start of this year, I started to watch quite a bit of not okay lah, but by by most standards, not a lot. But I started to watch some Netflix, right? And and one of the things I started watching was The Crown. How many of you, how many of you guys watch The Crown? You can raise your hands. Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm gonna look at 
page two, anybody? Nobody watched the crown here. Oh my word, nobody watches the crown. Okay, cool. Uh, I think there's only a small handful of us have watched the crown. Now, I loved it because uh, my wife is like huge on the, on the royal family and, and as a proxy, I also became quite interested in the royal family. Now, um, one of the stories that is told in the crown is the story of the next guy. I'm going to show you, right? I'm going to show you a picture of a guy. Um, uh, now, if I show you this guy's face, right? Do you recognize him? Does he mean anything to you? No, right? It probably means not much. To you. So let me show you the more familiar faces first, okay? Let's see some more familiar faces. Ah, you know Will and Kate, right? You know Will and Kate, you know Harry and Meghan, they're on our, they're on our tabloids all the time, they're on our BuzzFeed all the time, right? Okay, so that's Will and Kate, that's Harry and Meghan, so those are the princess, right? You know their father is Charles, okay? So at least we know this. Their father is Prince Charles, he's very old, he's still not yet king because their grandmama is still alive, okay? And, and, and Charles's mother is... Elizabeth, Elizabeth II, right? And I purposely show you two pictures because in pink is, is the queen as she is today, okay? And, uh, and, and with the blue background, that I need to take you back to the 1940s and 30s, okay? Because, because she's reigned for so long, okay? And I need to take you back to the 1930s when Queen Elizabeth was a young woman and she became queen, right? Because her father died prematurely. He was, he was he fell sick, he died, and her father was King George VI. And that is King George VI in your pictures. Now, here's something that you know, but you never knew too much about it, or maybe you never even knew about it. King George VI was not supposed to be the King of Britain, right? Which means, it's a big deal, huh? if King George is not supposed to be the King of Britain, then Elizabeth, whom we know today, should not have been the Queen. And then Charles, who is in line, and one day Will, who is in line, will also not is also not supposed to be the king. It's because King George's. That's right, Andrew. Right? Andrew has stolen my thunder. Right, that's good. Right, it means that you you're not just following, but you know you you know your your your, your royal history. Okay, it's because King George had an older brother. His name was Edward, and King. That's the face I showed you just now. That's King Edward the Eighth. Right, and Edward the Eighth took the took the crown. Okay, even before his coronation, his whole his whole uh, reign lasted less than a year. Right, because I think he, he took the crown at about about January of nineteen thirty six, and by December he had abdicated. Now Edward, um, I don't know if you can say this, but some many commentators feel that he was did not quite have the character uh, to be a king. His father, his late father before him, who was George V, certainly didn't think that he had the character to be a king. He was a womanizer. He had uh, many, many flings with many women, several of whom were married women. And the hill he decided to die on um, was what uh, was this woman in the picture here? Uh, a woman called Wallace Simpson. She's American, twice divorced, and and there was just so much heat surrounding his love affair with her, who was at the time married. And then she's, she's quickly settled her divorce in order to be with uh, the King, King Edward. And there was just so much controversy that Edward reached a point where the British Parliament uh, just pretty much told him, no, either you leave this woman and retain your throne or you leave this, or, or, or you leave this throne and you can marry this woman. And Edward decided he would step off the throne. He gave a speech, and that's the picture 
of Edward giving a speech over radio to the to the British public, and and he and he, he married he married Wallace Simpson right, and that's him giving a speech uh, uh, to the British public, and in his speech he says that today I surrender the the right to be the king of Britain and emperor over the empire of the Commonwealth, and the first thing he does is he swears allegiance to his brother. Right, and and this is this is what happened. Now, my friends, my friends, somewhere along the line, he also says something like, "I feel that this is for the best of everybody." And wow, when I heard that, wow, actually, my I'll be honest, my blood boiled a bit. You know, when he said that, that I think this is for the best of everybody, my blood boiled just a little bit because in my mind, and I hope maybe it's in your mind as well, when authority has been given to you, guess what? It's not yours. To simply, simply, alang alang, say I don't want it, because someone vested it in you, someone gave it to you. It's not your place to say. I think it's for the better that I step up. It's not your call. Today, Edward is remembered by everyone as the one who betrayed the people of Britain. He became king. He should have walked in the steps of his father before him and lived. And, 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 and to his high calling, he had a high calling to be the king of Britain. The reason why many British people until today remember him as the one who betrayed the British public is because he placed his personal duties and responsibilities above the duties that he owed to the the, the, the people of the crown. And that's what and that's why today Edward is remembered as the king who shirked his. Responsibilities. Now, my friends, Edward continued to live a pretty anonymous life. He got married uh, uh, to Wallace Simpson. He lived out his days in exile, or, or, or mostly in exile uh, from Britain. He spent time in France, in Bahamas, and everywhere, you know. And and he tried to make overtures with his royal family uh, to go back into public life, to go back into social life um, uh, with. With, with, with the British public. But guess what? On all times where he did make it back um, uh, to London, the British people, uh, the British people disdained him. They had lost respect for him. He had fallen in their eyes and in their favour. Where once they would have loved him, now they disdained him because he was the man who shirked his responsibility for his own sake. Now, my friends, this is what application looks like. And Edward, King Edward, has a legacy. It's not a good one. My friends, the day will come when every single one of us will stand before the throne of God and all of the people of God will look and say, this guy stood his ground. This woman stood her ground through trials, through hardship, through all kinds of pain, similar to the pain that I shared with you last week, right? There's persecution, think like the persecuted church, friends, through all the hardships and the dying to yourself that needs to be done, will you stand your ground and discharge your high calling and your high honour? Or will you just walk out? and say, someone else come and take my place. I don't care who, I'll swear allegiance to them. Is that what we're going to say, church? No! God forbid, we shall never do that. Amen? 
So I want to show you now a series in quick succession, a series of points that I want you to have something practical to take home about spiritual authority. And so I want to show you this, right? Five points, all right? Uh, quick points to take home. Number one, authority is given by God, not earned by achievement, not earned by conquest. In other words, the reason why my blood boiled when Edward had the nerve to say in his application speech that I think this is better for all. I've made this decision, it's very serious, um, but I think in the end it's going to be better for all. The reason why it got under my skin is because you don't get to decide. You don't have a call. God gave you authority, you hold it. Until he tells you to pass it on, you don't pass it on. Because authority is given by God. You didn't earn it by achievement. You didn't earn it by conquest. How do we know this? When Pilate, remember when, when, when Pontius Pilate said to, to Jesus, do you know I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? And Jesus said, you would have no authority over me unless it had first been given you from above. God bestows authority. It's for you to discharge. It's not for you to alang alang step out of. Amen. You want to learn more about this, go to Romans chapter 13. There is a lot there about how, why and how authority is all God given. So friends, remember, you have authority. God has given it to us, the church. He's not giving it to individuals. He's given it to the church. So when you're in a functioning body of the church, you have authority. You want to go and be a lone ranger? I don't know if you will carry the authority. I know that when you're together in the church, Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Not against individual members who want to decide to go and be a lone, lone wolf. Okay, I don't know if lone wolves have authority, but the church does. Point number two. Authority is bestowed upon those who serve and sacrifice themselves. In Matthew chapter 20, you have James and John at the time, disciples still fairly young, jostling for power among the 12 apostles and trying to, to, to you know, shove each other off and say that I'm going to be the greatest of the 12. And Jesus smiled them properly. He said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, in other words, all the rest of the world culture, their rulers lord it over their subjects. And their great ones exercise authority on them. And, and this is the kind of harsh, oppressive authority. Not so with you. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant. And whoever would first be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to what? Self-sacrifice. Give his life as a ransom to many. My friends, authority is bestowed upon those in the church who serve and sacrifice themselves as Christ served and sacrificed himself. So authority is a big thing. And friends, if, if you want spiritual authority over your home, I'm not talking about serving in a, in, in a very narrow sense of serving in a ministry in church, you know, that is in our list of ministries, you know. You want to serve in church in the ministry? By all means, our doors are always open and ain't nobody going to shut those doors, right? But my friends, 
serving here is serving the body. It calls someone. You pray with them. You pray or healing over uh, your brothers and sisters. You are plugged into the church. You are part of the body. You showed up today. You invite someone to come to church. You remind yourself to come to church. You remind each other. You sacrifice yourself. You show hospitality. You show love. You show care. And, and in so doing, you grow in your stature for spiritual authority. Next one. Point number three. Having authority is a high privilege and a high calling. So friends, God has bestowed something really precious upon us, the church. Centuries, Abraham would have dreamt of having this. Isaac Jacob would have dreamt of having this. And today, we have this position of high authority. That's why Jesus says that the church will do greater works than these. Than these, meaning that the church of the first century, you see some works. The church of the latter days will do even greater works. Why? Because this is a high authority for us to be seated in the heavenly realms with the Father ruling from on high. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And then he discharges it. Go make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded you. And I'm with you to legitimize your acts of spiritual authority. I am with you till the end of the age. So it's a high calling, my friends. Next one. Spiritual authority is dominating the spiritual atmosphere. Jesus says, if it is by the Spirit of God that I cast out demons, the kingdom of God has come upon you. How can you enter a strong man's house, plunder his goods? Remember the gates of hell? How can you enter the gates of hell and simply, simply plunder their goods unless what? We bind the strong man. Unless Satan is bound up. Unless Satan is crushed down. Unless Satan is restrained then indeed we may go through the gates of hell. It shall not prevail against us and we shall plunder for souls. We shall plunder for lives so that those who are in addictions will be saved. Those who are under oppression will be saved. Those who are under, uh, under victimization will be saved. And every spiritual power of darkness that is oppressing will be broken. My friends, I want to share with you, there was one time I was, in, uh, I was preaching in the BM church, right, uh, with Pastor John Jonathan our BM church in SIB, KL. And after I finished preaching, I stepped down, I was ministering to the guys on the, uh, on the, uh, the, who came up for the altar call. And this big guy, he immediately slumped and he tumbled. Right? I was like, okay, that wasn't me. Okay, that's Holy Spirit, obviously, because I, I, I sure can't do that. And I started to, so minister to everybody else, you know, and, and we're praying with this guy on the floor. Service ended. Everyone, lights came on, they were leaving. We told everyone to just, uh, 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 if you want to continue, stand around and pray. If not, you can go. And then we're ministering to this guy, and he was obviously demonized. He was like, rrr, rrr, rrr. he was fighting. Uh, his voice did not totally change, but he was, his eyes look raged, right? They were reddish and raged and he was so strong, like five, six guys were holding him down. And I can tell you this, little boy Fergus grew up watching horror films, right? Exorcist, Omen, 1, 2, 3, 4, you know, I, I watched all the horror films, right? And I used to be super scared of all these things, right? Okay? But the Lord has shaped me and grown me and taught me one or two things. And one of the things he has taught me is that he who is in you is greater than that which is in the world. So you don't have to be scared of demons. I can tell you, there's no need to be afraid of demons. Why? Because we have spiritual, uh, 
authority. And it, the whole thing lasted about half an hour. We prayed, we took authority, we rebuked that demon, we told him, get out of this brother. Dalam nama Yesus, halau kamu, keluar dari dia. We just pleaded the blood of Jesus to cover him and we rebuked this, the, the evil spirit. After half an hour, we worship, worship, worship. He slowly could stand up. We forced lift up his hand, right? And he was like this and then, and then he slumped back down and then we, we got him to declare, Jesus lah Tuhan, Jesus lah Tuhan. And after a while, he just shouted, you know, like he shouted, ah! And then it's like wind, like air coming out. And then, and then it was like heavy breathing, soft breathing. And then he woke up. We gave him some water to drink. He woke up and the demon had left him. Praise be to God. And after that, he stood up and we worshiped properly. And now he could lift up his hands. Friends, spiritual authority is about dominating the spiritual atmosphere around them. Bind the strong man. You have the right. You can shut that door. You can shut that door because Jesus has given you the key to that door. You shut that door and you say, Satan, get out and you shut that door and nothing can open to come back in. Amen? Amen? Come on, my friends. Do you have an amen? Come on, my friends. Do you believe that the Lord is power? He's not just good. He didn't just down the cross. He has unleashed upon the church spiritual power to take control of the world around us. I'm not satisfied with the world around me. Ain't not satisfied. And I want to see the power of living God alive outside my door. Everybody uh, out there walking, feeling lost in the kopitiams and in the quail and the everywhere. I want to see God in their lives. I see everybody living godless lives. I want to see God in their lives. I want to see God alive in Malaysia, alive in the people of, of, of outside my doorstep. My friends, number five, and I'll end on this. If you abdicate on your spiritual authority, horror will ensue. And friends, church, I just wanted to know this and land on this point. I really don't mean to draw you deeper into the kingdom with fear. It's not a modus operandi. I just have to warn you. This series is called Take Heed for a reason. These are the warnings that the Lord has been saying to me first. Fergus, if you abdicate on your spiritual authority over Sungai Bulon Church and over my own family household, horror will ensue. Because Jesus says to the church shop, Smyrna, if I'm not mistaken, or was it Thyatira? I think it's Thyatira. He says in Revelation 2, 20 to 23, if you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols, in other words, abdicate. If you abdicate, step off and, and tolerate all these other powers coming in to, to influence the spiritual atmosphere of your church, I will throw her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her, in other words, if you abdicate all your people and you, all will be thrown into a great tribulation unless they repent of her works and I will strike her children dead. Friends, for me, I'm scared. A little bit. Because I know that if I abdicate, everybody falls. I know if I, if I tumbang, my family will fall. I know that I carry a certain responsibility. Friends, I want to share with you that Jesus will always pop up. And I want to hold this tension between 
between standing your ground on your spiritual authority and the reality that whenever we fail to live up to it, as long as you keep turning back to the Lord and turning back to the Lord, Jesus always pops up. To begin with, the authority was not yours anyway. He popped up to the full from the start. And he will continue to top up. So my friends, I want us, I want to minister to each of you right now. So I want to I want to invite all of you to just hold your hands open in front of you. Hold your hands open. And I want you to say this prayer after me, together with me. Because I sense that for many of you, you are in that in that difficult space in between uh, 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 taking authority and sometimes sometimes being too weak to take your stand. And none of us wants to go as far as to advocate. And I want us to pray right now, Lord Jesus, say with me, Lord Jesus, these hands are yours. They are not perfect hands. They are hands that have done well. They are hands that have also done poorly. Today, I surrender these hands to you. Holy Spirit, put power upon these hands. Holy Spirit, give back full authority upon these hands. Holy Spirit, let these hands be lifted up to champion the name of Jesus in my home, in my family, in my marriage, with my children, with my neighbors, in my workplace, in my schools, in my community, and over this land of Malaysia. Holy Spirit, I pray that you will fall and pour upon me such a new fire, such a new wine. Today, I declare I am a new wineskin and I'm ready. Holy Spirit, make me into a new wineskin so that I'm ready to receive a new outpouring of the Spirit upon me to set my foot upon a rock and establish me in spiritual authority so that I can take hold of this land for the name of Jesus so that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under my feet. In the name of Jesus, I come back to you. In the name of Jesus, I surrender myself to you and say, Lord Jesus, take hold. Take hold. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We're going to worship right now. We're going to worship right now and say, death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. Suzanne's going to lead us. There's no lyrics. I didn't want lyrics on the screen. I wanted you to minister and be, uh, and be ministered to. Sing along. If you don't know the words, just let the let Suzanne singing speak to you into your spirit. Everybody, close your eyes. Lift up those singing hands. Hallelujah. And death could not hold you. The veil tore before you. You silenced a boast of sin and grave. The heavens are roaring. The praise of your glory. For you are raised to You have no rival, Lord, you have no equal, now and forever, God, you reign. Yours is the kingdom, yours is the glory, and yours is the name above all name. What a powerful name. 
Father, we declare, Lord God, that your name is a powerful name, Lord God. And upon the name of Jesus, demons will have to flee. Upon the name of Jesus, darkness will have to go. Upon the name of Jesus, sicknesses and addictions will be broken. Upon the name of Jesus, darkness flees. Every oppression goes. Setiap rantai dalam nama Yesus kami hancurkan dalam nama Yesus. Every chain that lead that chains us back to oppression in Jesus name be broken over your life and father i just want to speak and impart upon the whole church in sungai buloh church lift up your hands i'm imparting a spirit to you there's nothing spooky i'm just praying that god will work i'm just praying that god will work holy spirit fall upon every one of my brothers and sisters right now in authority and power fall upon every one of them right now in pure unadulterated a legitimized spiritual authority and power to take authority over their homes over their workplaces and over their communities and especially over their families so lord jesus i pray that everyone of us here in our sungai buloh church will rise up to the standing that you have positioned us for and Father, I pray for your peace upon our land. We pray, Lord God, that this scourge of COVID will start to recede in our land in the days to come. But above that, Father God, we pray that the hearts of men and women will be drawn towards you as we take authority over the spiritual atmosphere of our land. So Lord Jesus, we exalt you. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Lord Jesus, we surrender this world into your hands. But we take responsibility for the plot of land that we step on. Lord Jesus, take over. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. Be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you shalom. And all of God's people, shout aloud. Amen. Amen. All right. Amen. Praise the Lord. Come on, church. Let's praise God.